Huh? First time ever. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Good job. Thank you so much. I know. Yeah. Come and try that sometime. Find out how easy that is. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's great to be here, to be honest. And uh, this our, we're ripping the Band-Aid off, as we were talking about on Thursday for worship practice. Here we are, right? <laughs> our band dies. Thank goodness everybody's here. I'm happy and excited that, that nobody's hurt. Uh, you have no idea. Uh, you know, when we got the van for free, this is free material, not in my notes. I'm just going to share this with you. This is, this is, my, this is what happened. I, we got the van for free. We've been praying for it. Dennis and I have been praying for it. And many people have been praying for a free van to help us go pick people up from Fort Lyon. And, uh, and God gave us one. And then Sherry and I went and picked it up on Monday or Tuesday, one of the, one of the two. It doesn't matter. And, um, and, you know, it's sitting in our driveway at our house, and I kept looking at it going, and I told Matt this. I said, gosh, I hope this isn't the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, you know. But I, th- I thought it might be that because somebody would get hurt, you know. But thankfully, nobody did. We're here, and, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the van, but it was free, so we, we have very little investment in it, so if that's all we get out of it, praise God for that, right? <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's start today with our message this morning. In case you're new here, my name is Scott Johnson, and I'm one of the pastor elders here at Calvary La Junta, and we're so grateful that you're here. Thank you for being here for this very first day of um, our, new, our new time together. Uh, as Matt has now moved on to Monta Vista and Center, where he is actually pastoring two churches and not just one. So um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being patient this morning. You know, we just, and I hesitate to say this, celebrated Memorial Day this past weekend. My dad and my, uh, my father-in-law both served in the military. My dad was in the Air Force during the Korean War where he was a radio man in Germany, performing a top-secret mission to listen and track Soviet Union communications. My father-in-law served in the Army, Sherry's dad, as a mortar specialist in the Battle of Luzon, and I returned to the Philippines. Remember MacArthur's famous words that, I will return? Well, he did, and my father-in-law was with him. And while they were in the battle there in the World War II, he took shrapnel off a rock that severed his Achilles tendon, and he needed to wear a brace on his foot for the rest of his life as a reminder of his service to his country. And I'm proud of both of them, of their service. And they were both buried at Fort Logan National Cemetery along with my mom and my mother-in-law. And the picture that you see here is a picture of what part of what Fort uh, Fort Logan looks like. And uh, as you can see, I mean, you can see as far as the eye can see, and really it, it doesn't matter in which direction you go, as many graves as, 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 as it's just an amazing thing to see. It's a wonderful place. It's a, it's a place of honor. It's a place of reverence. Especially on Memorial Day, as you can see, that all the graves are marked with a flag for someone who 
was in service and served their country. Every time I go there, I moved. Even looking at that picture now, it moves me. It moves me because, because there, are, there are men and women there who served our country, and many of them gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be free. I have been honored to perform many uh, funerals there at Fort Logan, and it is an honoring thing to do so. These men and these women who give their lives have, uh, are honored in such a special way there. They do such a great job. But this year, I have to admit, it was different for me. Different than any other time that I've been there, which is many, many times, I can't even count how many times that Sherry and I have been there. Because the Lord opened my eyes to see what He sees. Memorial Day was never supposed to be a holiday. It was never supposed to exist. By the way, I'm sorry I forgot my first day. Kids are released to Sunday school. If you haven't already left and you want to go to Sunday school, you're free to go. So my apologies. I will remember next time, I promise. Okay. But Memorial Day wasn't supposed to be. It was not what God intended. Cemeteries of any kind, wars of any kind, and death by any means were not supposed to happen. I was standing among the honorable men and women who served their country where they paid the ultimate price by giving their life in service. I was standing there and it hit me. This is a picture of the result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. This is the result of reaping what Adam and Eve and every person since then as a sinner has sowed. Our sins and our disobedience to God's will and commands for our lives to be sold out to Him brought us to this point. God did not design or create His creation to be fought over by guns and weapons that are designed to kill and maim other people just so we could gain a foot of ground. Places like Fort Logan, excuse me, are honorable places based on the broken world that we now live in. But it wasn't what God intended. We are not, we were not originally created to die, but here we are. And I wanted to bring this up because as we head to the end of our series in Galatians, Paul, today in Galatians 6, 6 through 10, is explaining the importance of sowing the right seed so that we can reap the proper crop that honors our Lord and Savior. And living in LaHunta and growing up in Nebraska has taught me some things about sowing and reaping from the agricultural side. Paul is using this metaphor to help his audience, who is familiar with the agricultural world, to understand what he meant as far as living a good life and reaping what it is that you sow. Jesus himself used this metaphor many times. So let's get ready. Let's read the passage this morning. and We'll start to dig in and understand what Paul is trying to tell us through this letter to the Galatians. And first of all, if you are a veteran here today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. Your country appreciates you. We appreciate you. Because of your service, our country is free. And in this country, we're able to come to church and, and worship our Lord and Savior. So let me not 
not say thank you, but thank you. We are all appreciative. Let's read Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Starting in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. If we do not give up, if we do not give up, he says. So then as we have opportunity, let us, go, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word as we come before you this morning and we are just in grateful awe of you and what you tell us and how relevant it is even to our lives today, Lord, that we can learn so much from what Paul has written almost 2,000 years ago. Father God, I pray that this morning that your word would manifest through my voice, Lord, into the hearts of all of us that are here today and into our heads, Lord, and we would just be uh, in awe of you more than when we walked in this morning, of how wonderful you are and how loving you are and how you want us just to trust you and be obedient to you and do the things that you ask us to do. Father God, I just lift all of this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first verse here that says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In this first point I have, let the student become the teacher. But to be honest, that's really not a great title for this first point. And you'll see why here in a second. Um, I really couldn't come up with a better one, so we just went with it. But this first verse, verse 6, it seems a little bit out of place in our passage. It, really, it doesn't really fit with the previous passage that we looked at, and it really doesn't fit in this one either. Because it is really awkward to talk about this verse today because we have a meeting later to discuss choosing a new pastor. Because this verse, as all commentators agree on, has to do with the people in the churches of Galatia needing to participate in the sharing of all of their time, talents, and treasures with the church. Especially financial, financially for the ministers of the word. Paul wanted the church to know that in order for the church to be healthy, the pastor didn't need the burden of how he was going to provide for his family and their needs. The minister of the word needs to be able to concentrate on studying, praying, and developing his own walk with the Lord to prepare for the development of disciples in his congregation. Martin Luther, the great theologian and reformer, said this regarding Galatians 6.6. 6. He said, These passages are all meant to benefit us ministers. I must say, I do not find much pleasure in explaining these verses. I am made to appear as if I am speaking for my own benefit. And honestly, when we talk about verses like this, when you're standing up here, and uh, it's possible that you could be a pastor, it's a little awkward. But it's not really supposed to be. And this is not the only time that Paul brings this topic up. He addresses ministers and their pay and many times in his letters. And I'm just going to give you two today. 
And we're going to move on from this passage, this particular verse, quickly. Hang in there with me. 1 Timothy 5, 17-18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. And what, what Paul is telling Timothy here is to not, not be ashamed of getting paid as a pastor, not being ashamed of getting money for what you do, because your work is just as worthy as the farmer or the rancher or any other job that you may have. Romans 4.4, Paul writes, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And so, whether I am your pastor or whoever comes next, the church should take care of that person to the best of their ability. But let me just say this. It's not just financially that a church can't support the pastor's work. Involving yourself in the work of the church and its outreach into the community with your talents and with your time are also very important. One of the greatest gifts a church can give its pastor is to be faithful and willing to serve. Also to desire to learn and grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. And to take these things that you have learned from us and share them with other people. We want to be disciples that make disciples. There is nothing greater than for a pastor to hear of someone that they poured their life into to take what they learned and pour that into another life and then to see that life be poured into somebody else's life that's how the church is built. And Paul says that in one of my favorite verses in 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This one verse, you can see five levels of making disciples. Because when you look at it, we know that someone taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy will teach someone. That person will teach someone, and so on, and so on. That's what Paul is getting at. The church multiplies itself. It's not about the pastor. It's just a position that the Lord has called us to. But the church is the church. It's not the pastor. I hope that makes sense. And this is what we are to share with each other. So I want to leave this verse by saying that that this church is a church and has been a church since I've been here that knows how to share your time and talents with each other. And you've also taken care of your pastor well. And I want to encourage you to keep doing, a, to keep doing the good work that you've been doing. I want this to be an encouragement to you. I know we've spent a lot of weeks talking about sin and, and really getting after you know the dark things in life, but, but I want this to be something that you are encouraged by, and I want to encourage you to continue. It is an honor to the Lord. And as we move forward into the next set of verses, verses 7 and 8, Paul once again brings a dire warning to the Galatians. He tells us our second point is that we, we sow, and because what we sow is what we reap. So let us sow in the Spirit and not the flesh. So starting in verse 7, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, then that he will also reap. And that makes sense. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows for to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is, this is a warning to the Galatians based on everything Paul has been exhorting to the church there through his entire letter. He said, don't be deceived by those Judaizers that we've talked about for months now who wanted them to be circumcised and add works to their salvation message instead of relying on Christ and His work alone. God will not be mocked. And then there's this. Think about this. You may fool yourselves. You may be able to hide your actions from others. You may be able to keep your sins in secret. But you cannot fool the Lord. And I tell you, that is, that is humbling. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now that's comforting, but that's also should be humbling. It should make us quiver when we start to think, you know, oh my goodness, here it comes, and then it comes out of your mouth, and the Lord already knew it was coming. And you're like, well, there's another Scottism. I'm going to be repenting here soon. But then he goes on and he says in verses 7 and 8, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. You see, we cannot run from the Lord. We cannot run from Jesus. But we can fool ourselves and we can think we can, but we can't. Because God in His character, in His attribute of omniscience, will not allow Him. It will not allow it. He will not do it. He is God, of course. But that is not all that Paul is saying in this verse. He is telling the Galatians that they will reap what they sow. This is a simple truth, but it is so relevant today. And really, there's two major outcomes from this, but, but there's a third one that's kind of a twist on the second one. And the first one is this. If we plant bad seeds, we can expect back a bad crop, right? Instead of the bountiful melon crop that we're known for here in the valley come August and September, we will reap a field of goat heads, which I didn't even know what a goat head was until I moved to La Junta. Now I'm well aware of what a goat head is. And the second one is, and we, I know that we do not want fields of goat heads in the church, do we? No. <laughs> right, you don't. You're right, Dan. And the second one is, though, if we plant good seeds, we can expect a bumper crop of the sweetest corn or the juiciest, most sugar-filled melons that we are known for. That's what we want. That's what we want. But there is this third possibility. And the third possibility I want to bring up is that if we sow a sparse crop of good seeds and not an abundance of good seeds, just a tiny bit, this leaves room for the weeds to fill in the empty spaces in the field. And that will take over the field. The weeds will win. The Lord wants us and He expects us to sow good seed abundantly. He commands us to be generous when we throw the seed. We needn't worry about whether or not we're going to run out. 
Because we know that the creator of the seed is our supplier. And his supply is unlimited. So he wants us to sow seed generously. Good seed generously. Not to worry about it. Just take handfuls of it and just whoosh. Wherever we go. That's what we're supposed to do. So Paul is explaining this from a spiritual sense in verse 8. He is bringing this up to tie together what we talked about over the last three or four weeks, especially the last two, when we looked at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So listen to what Paul says here in verse 8. Where the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if, if we sow our seeds from our flesh, remember we've had these two lists. We had the works of the flesh, then we had the fruit of the Spirit, right? We went through that extensively. I'm not going to go through that again, but keep that in mind. So if we, if we throw the seeds and they're filled with sexual immorality and strife and idolatry and jealousy and fits of anger, envy, divisions, gossip, and the rest, we will reap a field, we will have a church filled with goat heads. I don't see any goat heads in this church right now. And I really don't ever want to see any goat heads in this church. But we, are, because we're a church that, see, that, that sows good seed, and I just want to be clear of that. But soon these goat heads, they'll, they'll infiltrate the whole church if we decide to to throw the bad seed. And we'll reap the judgment of God. We will not see people coming to Jesus. We will see more and more empty pews. We will not have baptisms. But we'll be, we will be performing church discipline a lot instead. God will not be mocked. His glory will prevail no matter what we tell ourselves and blind ourselves with. You know, we can look around the world today and we can see this happening. Even in different church denominations, we see this truth living out. As a country, we have moved so far from the Lord and His teaching and we're seeing the corrupted crop revealing itself. But what's even worse is how the church, in some sectors and denominations, that have tried to cheapen the authority of God's Word and instead embrace the friendliness of the world and its corruption. They have, decided, they have decided that God's Word is relative. And they can decide which parts of it they stand on and which parts they can throw away because it might hurt somebody's feelings. And I can assure you here at Calvary Church as we go forward and as we have been, we place a premium on the authority of God's Word. All of it. Not just the parts of it that make us feel good. You know, you can see it if, you, if you're not aware of it and you're not sure. Listen to our messages in, the, in our series in Galatians. We did not skip the hard stuff. It's been difficult and it's been in our face. Because i got to tell you, sin is not a fun topic to talk about week in and week out. Yet we do it because we preach what the Word confronts us with each week. We want Calvary, all of us here, I believe, to be a church that lives in the second list of Galatians 5, 22-23. We want to live in joy. We want to live in love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. These are the seeds of the Spirit that Paul exhorts us to sow. This is the type of church that glorifies God and He blesses. God warned Israel in Hosea 8-7 that what will happen when they sow the bad seed. And so he says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower if it were to yield. Think about that. Throwing seeds into the wind, and you reap the whirlwind like a tornado or a water spout. We're talking about something wicked. This way comes. If you've never been in a tornado, and growing up in Nebraska, I've been in a few, they are wicked and scary. You do not want to reap the whirlwind. And beyond that, the grain, the wheat will grow, but it has no head. There's nothing to reap. <coughs> and thus, it should yield no flower. It's of no use. This is the warning that we have if we, if we sow the bad crop. So let us not fall into that same trap. Let us remain in the fruit of the Spirit and sow our seeds from there. And what we will reap, Paul says, is eternal life. Eternal life. Now, as we know from our study, this eternal life is not based on any good works that we do. It's based on Christ and Christ alone. And our good works come from our salvation and our want to serve our Lord. Because we get to. He has given us works to do. He has given us things to do for Him and for His glory. He allows us to participate in His kingdom. That is an amazingly beautiful, wonderful thing. And that should be something that gets us excited. We don't have to do anything. We get to. We get to with the joy of the Spirit that lives inside of us to serve the God who gave His life for us. Paul is reminding the Galatians here that we live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in freedom. We are no longer living as the accused by the accused of our sin. The accusation of our sin, sorry. When we sow the good seed and toss the bad seeds of the darkness of sin and destruction away, we live in joy. We live in kindness. We live in love. We live in the grace of God and in the holy presence of our God and King. We become freed from the bondage of our hidden sin. And we find a freedom that we may never have had in our whole life. I tell you, if you're living in the darkness, to come out into the light, into the shining light of Christ. Eternal life is the, is the crop of the good seed of the gospel. Eternal death is the crop of the bad seed of darkness and sin. Which would you rather reap? I say we should live in the joy, in the light of your salvation, in the light of of Jesus and be free be free if you are here today and you have sin that you haven't dealt with that you've been putting off that you don't want anybody to know about because it's so shameful and embarrassing God will not be mocked 
He already knows. And He just wants you to bring it out into the light and repent and confess and fall into His loving arms of forgiveness and be free. Be free. Do you know what it's like to be free? Put that picture of Fort, White, or Fort Logan back up for me, will you? Again, we see, we see what the price of sin and what freedom costs from a human standpoint right now. And all of those graves right there all added up and all the ones that are not shown at Fort Logan do not add up to the one God and Savior who went to the cross for us. Not any of them. I don't care how many cemeteries there are in the world, not one of those adds up to what Jesus did for us. And this is honorable in our world. So as we get through these last two verses of our passage this morning, Paul is encouraging the Galatians to stay strong, to not get tired of doing good, to press forward and stay on the right path. The journey with Jesus, we know it can be difficult. We know that we will get tired. We all know that loving people can be hard. And it can wear you out. There is no guarantee that the love that you sow will be received and will be given back in kind. There is no guarantees. But that doesn't mean that we stop. That we quit. Because it's hard. We keep going. Here's what Paul says in our third point. That let us not grow tired of doing good things for each other. Starting in verse 9, Paul says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. God says we're not to grow weary of doing good. We are not to allow ourselves to be so worn out and fatigued that we give up. That when it's difficult and it's hard and it feels like our feet are in cement, we continue to take that next step forward. We know that relationships are not always a field of flowers and mint. Sometimes they're filled with goat heads, as we talked about earlier. Sticker bushes and cactuses that you accidentally step on and enlighten you with a sharp pain in your foot. I have actually experienced that. I know Dennis has experienced that, and it is not something that we want anybody else to experience. But if you've experienced it, you know the enlightening I mean. There might be a few things that come after that that aren't so enlightening. But, but this is true in marriage, as well as sibling relationships, and, and great friendships, or parent-child relationships, boss and employee relationships. Anytime people are together on a regular basis in close quarters, friction will occur. It just is inevitable. We're sinners. But when we sow the seeds of gentleness and kindness and love and self-control, self-control of our emotions, and we do so in patience, we will more often than not find joy and peace with that person. There will be a kindness and a gentleness given back. You will receive love. 
Because as Paul wrote, God will not be mocked and we will reap what we sow. So if we sow the good seed, we can expect to get a good crop back. And so in our relationships in the church, the same thing happens. If we want to have a church that is a light upon a hill that points the way to the new life that we have in Christ for those who are out there dying in their sin, with the world crumbling around them, then we need to not grow tired of sowing the good seed of the Spirit. And all of these relationships flow from our relationship with our Lord and Savior, our God and King. We need to nurture and grow our relationship with the Lord too. In fact, we need to do that first. We must sow the seed, the good seed of the Spirit that lives in a believer to our God. And the only way to grow our relationship with the Lord into a field of fragrant joy is like any other relationship that we have. We must spend time communicating with Him. There must be a desire on your part that's put there by the Holy Spirit to hunger and to know Jesus more and more every day. We must never grow weary of wanting our relationship to grow with Him. Now I admit, I admit in my life that I have been through different seasons. I have lived through the dead of winter when it feels like Jesus is so distant that I may never find Him again. But what I found was that, the, that He never left me nor forsook me like is promised in Hebrews. I, I found that it was me who took my eyes off of Him. I wasn't nurturing my relationship with Him. I wasn't fully giving myself to Him. But on the other hand, I've also spent many, many beautiful summers with Him where my love for Him was as fresh as the air, the air is after a cleansing rain. Where His Word was fresh every day as if I was reading it for the very first time. I couldn't get enough prayer time talking and listening to Him. His voice was, was loud and clear as I read the Word. Paul says that we are not to give up. And if we don't give up, that we will reap the joy of eternal life in due season. And the word for season here is the same word that's translated to opportunity in verse 10. In other words, the Lord will provide us with an opportunity, a definite season, a time when we will reap good things if we endure to the end, even when it is hard, even when we are dead tired. Remember, Jesus himself didn't grow weary when he went to the cross. And he went through so much more than what we could ever expect to go through. The mockings, the beatings, the insults, the sin he had to carry. But he didn't give up when it was so hard that any other person would have given up. Paul writes this to us as an encouragement in Romans 5, 3-5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character 
produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see that is a progressive list? Not all lists in the Bible are progressive, but this one is. Our sufferings are not in vain. They allow us to have endurance. Then when we face it again, we will be able to do it. We can look back and say, I got through that one. I can get through the next one. And with that, it produces character. Character knowing that we didn't get through it on our own. We went to the Lord. He gave us help. And we stayed steadfast. So the next one will be even more steadfast. And then in the end, it produces hope. Hope that this will come to an end. Even if we suffer our entire lives here on earth, we know it will end, and one day we'll be in heaven with Him. Where all of this will go away. All of our pain, all the agony, everything that we deal with here on this earth will be wiped away because of Christ. The late Timothy Keller, one of my favorite people in the world, and I miss him even though I never met him in my life, said something like this, about our ultimate example, Jesus. And I don't remember the exact quote, but, but this is what I remember from a video I saw recently. He said, do you want to know how much Jesus loves you? Look at the cross. When Jesus was being mocked and spit on, when he was looking, at those, looking down at those who nailed him on the cross, what did he do? He stayed. Think about how profound that is. He stayed. The King of kings and Lord of lords, he could have come down. He did not have to stay there. He stayed. He didn't give up. And because of that, we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness of our sins. He stayed. And Paul says in verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As God brings us opportunity... As God brings us into a season of time, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are believers in Christ. This is written in the present tense so that this is something that He is expecting us to do now and from now on. Our season, our opportunity is right now. Martin Luther King said, the time is always right to do what is right. I mean, is a, that is simple truth, but it's true. It's always right to do what is right. And then he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And the only love that truly drives out the darkness in our hearts is the light of Christ. And we are the light of Jesus. Paul said we are not to tire of doing good to everyone. The world out there so desperately needs to see the light of Christ. And you are His light in this dark world. Jesus encourages us in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see the good, your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
And if you've ever walked into a completely dark house and even lit a candle, that little light just brightens the entire place. And that is the light of Jesus that lives in you. It lives in you. And you are His light. You are His candle. You are His glow. You are what the world needs. And as we talked about earlier, you get to participate in God's kingdom. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve the Lord. It is not work. Yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be tiring. Yes, it can be completely uncomfortable. In the end, it is amazing. Oh, it is amazing. It is amazing. So let us not grow weary of doing good when God gives us the opportunity. Let your light shine before others. Let the world see that there is a Savior who loves them. Jesus who died for them. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see your life and how it's been transformed. Now how do we do this? What, what are some examples of how we show the world good? Well, first of all, by our attitude. Nothing turns a person away from Jesus than a person of faith who looks like they just ate the most sour lemon on earth. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Don't put a veil on your face. Shine while you're out in public. Be the one who helps someone at Walmart with the bags they forgot in their car. Be the one who gets the cart from the elderly couple and return it to the cart rack. Be the one who buys a stranger's coffee at the barista or the village inn. Be the one who says a kind word to the person who looks like they want to beat your face in. Buy someone's gas at Love's. These little things that we do, they go a long way to being the light of Jesus. You do not know how many gospel conversations I have had in the line at, in the checkout at Walmart. And you think I'm waiting for an opportunity, a crack in the door for me to be able to go in. The, I'm just telling you, as I've learned this in my life, the door is always wide open. We just aren't listening. We aren't looking for it. You might look at someone's face and they're just down, you know, and you go, well, what, are you doing okay? Everything good? And then they start talking to you and then you go, you know, I've been there and then someone told me about someone who could really help me. Would you like me to tell you about him? Oh, yeah. And then you tell them about Jesus and you go as far as they'll let you. And if they stop you, it's okay. Hey, let me get your number. Maybe we can get some coffee together. It is not that hard. It is easy. You just have to do it. And you have to trust the Lord. This is what he wants us to do. Call someone. Call someone you haven't talked to for a long time and ask them to pray for them. Everybody loves to be prayed for. Everyone does. A couple years ago, we had a, we had a youth group here from Texas, and we went door to door. And the girls asked me when we, before we got to the first house, they go, I'm really nervous. I've never done this before. I said, well, you know, I've never done it before either, so here we go. And we knocked on doors, you know, and people didn't want to hear from us. But then we asked them, is there anything we can pray for you about? And it was like, oh, my son, my daughter, my dog, whatever, you know. And we prayed for people. 
We pray. We brought the light of Christ in their life that way. Many of you are doing so many great things in the community. And I would, I would love to share people's names of those that are doing these things. But I know that I would forget someone and then you would feel hurt. So I'm not going to say anybody's names. But know that I know who you are. And I am appreciative of what you do in the name of Christ. Thank you so much. We are not to give up. We are to continue on. At Calvary, I see a church that does great things. You know, in our transition, so many people have come forward to help. Look at the worship team we put together. Well, I didn't put it together. But Don and his team put it together in, in, in just a short period of time. And they came and they worshiped with us today for the first time live. They weren't supposed to do that. They told me they weren't going to do that until the end of July. But things didn't work out this week the way they wanted to, and they ripped the Band-Aid off this morning. And as we're ripping the Band-Aid off all day today, okay? We ripped the Band-Aid off with our van. We tore some skin with that one. <laughs> but but this, is, this, is, this, is, this is what it's like. This is what the church is. We're not perfect by any means. But we love each other because we have a Savior who loves us. I want this to be an encouraging sermon for you. I want you to hear what Paul is saying. As he's closing this letter, we have one more message in Galatians left. Never grow tired of doing good. Which gives an implication that you already are doing good. You don't have to change your behavior. Now, if you're not doing good, you do need to change your behavior. But if you're already doing good, keep going. Keep running. Paul says the Christian life is like a race. And I can tell you I was in track as a kid. And sometimes it felt like the finish line was a million miles away. I mean, there would be a thing like they would say the bear would jump on your back when you come around the corner on a 440 and the, which at that time is now the 400 meters. That tells you how old I am. And it felt like we, a piano literally was dumped on your shoulders, but you kept going until the end. Because when you crossed that tape, and it didn't matter whether you came first or last, you finished the race. And that's what Paul says. We are to finish the race. We are to not to give up. We are to go until the end. And we'll see the glory as we get it. God will not be mocked. He sees what we do, and He loves us dearly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I just thank You, God, for this day. I, I praise You for this Word that Paul brings us, this words of encouragement, Lord. Coming out of all those words of sin, and now we get an encouragement to live and continue to live our life for You. To not grow weary of doing good, Lord. To sow the good seed and to let you do your work. Lord, thank you. We get to participate in your kingdom. We get to serve you. This is not something that should be hard or work for us that we dread. Yeah, that, admittedly, there are difficult times. But when we put our faith and trust in you, Lord and leave the results to you, we will see a magnificent crop at the end. A crop we can't even imagine. 
from just the tiniest little seed that we sow. Lord, thank you so much. And I pray, God, that if there was someone here this morning who doesn't know you, and they want that, I pray, God, that they would give their life to you. They would recognize that they need you, and they would turn their face to you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.